And as our children leave, I will, as become our custom, I will ask you to stand for the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. In Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you have been called. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I want you to think of something that you think you need that will change your life. What is something that if you had it today would change your life forever. I don't know if you know this, but this is actually what every infomercial you've ever seen is trying to answer. Whether it's OxyClean, man, I just need something in my house that can clean anything. Whether it's a Snuggie, if I had that, I would forever be changed. My binge watching of Netflix would be complete. Or Flex Seal, I mean, if you have a hole in your boat, who wouldn't want a can that you can spray and just fix that hole? What's that one thing? That one thing that maybe you've already tried to purchase and forgotten in your cabinet because it really didn't change your life. Well, in last week's passage, Paul revealed one thing that changed the lives of the church forever. The grace of God in Jesus Christ. God's unmerited, God's free, particular, and effective grace in Christ. And Paul points us back to remember this grace in the very first words of this passage this morning. For this reason, because God has planned, because God has accomplished and applied redemption for his people in Christ, he is thankful he is thankful for what God is doing among them and what God has done for them. God has given them promises and they're coming true. It's coming true in the life of the Ephesians. The gospel of grace is taking root in their lives. God is changing them. And he's changing their lives forever. And what I want us to hear this morning is that the same thing that God promised them, he is promising us. 
these same gospel truths that took root in their lives and changed them forever, he is offering to us this morning, and it will change our lives forever. As I told someone this past week, verses 15 through 23 of chapter 1 might be the most overlooked passage in all of Ephesians. It follows the great doxology, the blessings of of verses 3 to 14, and then it's wedged in right before we get to chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. But I don't want to overlook this passage because this passage should be encouraging to all of God's people. And what I want us to see this morning is three ways, or that what Paul does for his church is something that most pastors don't actually tell the church. But Paul, Paul tells the church why he's praying for them, what he's praying for them, and what the implications of his prayers are for them. So let us look first at why he is praying for them. Because I've heard of the faith, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is praying for them because he has heard of their faith. People have seen it. People are talking about it. People have seen the evidence of their faith. Evidence that they have placed their faith in the objective Savior, Jesus Christ. How does one see someone's faith? Yes, you can have a good quiet time. Yes, you can come to church and sing of his praises. Yes, you can talk theology and have discussions and talk apologetics and talk worldview. But how does one see someone's faith? Well, Jesus told us in John 13, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, ones who have faith in me, if you have love for one another. The Apostle John expands this in his teaching in 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, when he says, We know that we have passed out of death into life, had faith in Jesus Christ, if, because we, we love the brothers. We know someone has faith, new life, resurrection life, if they love their brothers and sisters. Let that sink in. Love is tangible faith. In 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul describes what love looks like, he then speaks of what a mature Christian life looks like. Now, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Faith, hope, and and love. He speaks of two of them, right? Paul speaks of two of them right here. He's going to speak about the third one in just a minute. Faith and love. Love is the greatest because love is the tangibleness of our faith. Your faith in Christ is evident to others by the way that you love others. This is what disciples do. the most basic indication of someone's faith in Christ. Do you love God? And do you love others? Is your love noticeable? Can others see it? Are others talking about the way that you treat others? Because we know love is patient and kind. 
Kindness is a physical evidence of someone's patience. Love does not envy or boast. Boasting is physical evidence of envy. Love is not arrogant or rude. Rudeness is evidence of arrogance. Love is faith lived out. And Paul has heard of their faith in Jesus from others because they have loved the saints. They have loved everyone in their church, not just some people in their church, not just some people in this church. They have loved the saints. Brothers and sisters, if we cannot love one another, who can we love? If we cannot love each other, then the, our inner hearts, our inner lives, our inner faith is completely exposed. And as one of my seminary professors says, if you cannot see someone's love, you must question if they have faith in Jesus. But notice, Paul is thanking the Lord because he has seen their faith. The gospel is at work in them. And it's changing them. Does that describe you? Does that describe us? Can people tangibly see our faith because we're working it out in love? If they can't, then we really honestly need to ask ourselves, do we truly believe in the gospel of grace? As I said just a few weeks ago, one of the hardest things about hiring a new pastor is to know, will they truly live out what they say they believe? Because we can all say what we believe. But if you really believe it, you will live it out. And the same is true for us. What we do reveals what we believe. But here's the hope of the gospel. If this doesn't describe you, there's hope. There's a solution, and it's not just try harder. It's go to Jesus. Get closer to Jesus, because once you experience the love of Jesus, he will change your life. He has accomplished our redemption through his blood, through his substitutionary atonement, and he has lavished his grace upon us in love. He has united us to himself because he loved us. Not because of anything that we have done. Once you get so close to Jesus, you can't do anything except act like Jesus. Paul is thankful for these Ephesians because he's heard that God is working in their midst, because they look like Jesus. And people are talking about it. People see it. If you know him and love him, others will see it too. And this is something that we should be thankful for one another. Are we thankful when other people love us? 
or do we take it for granted? May we come so close to Jesus, so overwhelmed with his gospel love, that we can do nothing else. May we go out into Fayette County and give tangible evidence to our faith by the way that we love this county. May our faith be tangible to our friends that we hang out with on Friday night and might be doing something that we shouldn't be doing. Can our faith be tangible to our classmates? Can our faith be tangible to the opposing football team on the other side by the way that we love? Because here's what's interesting. If our faith becomes so tangible, so evident by the way that we love, we don't give any room for sin to come in. If we are so overwhelmed with the love of Christ, sin has no place. If we're so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus, there is no room for boasting. There is no room for arrogance. There is no room for being rude or envious. Because of the grace of Jesus and his love for us. This is why Paul prays for them. Now let's see what Paul prays for them. In verses 17 to 19. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, so that you may know what is the hope to which he called you. And what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? Wait, he's praying that God would give us the Spirit? Hasn't he already done that? Isn't that what we read last week in verses 12 to 14? Hasn't he already sealed his Holy Spirit upon us? Paul, uh, question, what, what's going on? How can both of these things be true? Well, as one scholar, Benjamin Merkel, helpfully says, Although all believers at faith are sealed with the Holy Spirit forever, there is still need for them to be filled and to walk according to the Spirit. Paul describes this in other places as growing or walking in the Spirit. We call this sanctification. Now, students or children, I, I know we've done first catechism. We've done it for over a year now. I don't think we've made it to question 51. But the first catechism explains sanctification by saying, it is God's making sinners holy in heart and conduct. The shorter catechism says it this way. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God. That's instant, entirely, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And are enabled more and more to die into sin and live unto righteousness. These Christians do not lack the Holy Spirit. They lack being more and more enlivened and strengthened in all of God's saving grace. Paul is praying that the Holy Spirit would continue to work in the lives of these people so that their faith might be evidence and that they might receive and live accordingly to everything that they received in Christ. He prays for them. May the Spirit continue to give you wisdom. 
Wisdom is the beginning, begins with the fear of the Lord. May the Spirit come to give you revelation. May it illumine your heart. May God reveal continuously and open your eyes to see, hear, and taste and touch the goodness of the gospel. May the Spirit continue to give you knowledge, not just simply knowing about God, but knowing Him personally. You all know Jessica and Joel and Luke and Calvin, but, but I know them. You might see them here. You might see them at school. And if you know them a little better, maybe you see them at our house or hopefully at your house. But I know them. I see them all the time. I know what they like. And when I want to know what they don't like, I ask Jess. I know what gets them excited. I know what discourages them. Paul prays that God the Father may pour upon the church the spirit that they might have wisdom, that they might continue to fear the Lord, that they might see the Lord, that they might know the Lord. This is grace. He's praying for them the exact thing that they need, what God has delivered to them in Jesus Christ. He's praying that they might see this is yours now in Christ. It's available to you. And then he says, in this parallel crescendo, in verses 18 to 19, what might they see? What might the eyes of their hearts be opened up to? What is the hope to which you've been called? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might? This is to what we have been called hope in Christ. This is what God has provided for us, his adopted children. Hope in Christ. Hope in the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints. This is what God gave us when he redeemed us by the blood of Christ. Hope. Hope, John Piper says, is faith in the future tense. And we see this in Hebrews 11.1. 1. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things unseen. We have faith in God's covenant promises. We believe and have confidence that they will come to pass. We have hope that God will, in the future, fulfill everything that he has promised to us. This isn't wishful thinking. This isn't the way that we use hope today to say that I hope Arkansas wins because they're probably not going to. We say we have true hope in Christ because what God has done for us in him. And this is true for us today. This is what we should pray for today, that we might know his grace and have hope for the future, future-looking faith. That we have hope in our homes. That God will be faithful to his promises. We have hope at school. That God will be faithful to his promises. We have hope as we homeschool. That God will be faithful 
to his promises. We have hope at work. We have hope in this world. Even when it seems like despair, we have hope because of what God has done in Jesus Christ our Lord. This hope is the riches of our inheritance. This hope is the immeasurable greatness of his power. It is ours. And look what Paul says. Look, look why. Why God, why Paul places our hope in Christ. It's not hope in us, but it's hope in a God who works everything according to his great might. It's hope in a God who worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It's hope in a God who worked for us when he seated him at the right hand at his right hand in the heavenlies. Our hope is in God the Father who sent his Messiah to the cross, raised him from the dead, and he's seated, he's reigning, and he's coming again. This is future-looking faith. He's seated at the right hand in a place of honor. Remember just a few weeks ago when I preached on Psalm 110. This is what David prophesied. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kingdoms on the earth of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will shatter chiefs over the whole earth. This is what God the Father has done for us in Christ. This is his immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to that which he is working out of his great might. May we open our eyes to see this. May the Spirit work inside of us that we may have hope in this future that has been promised to us. This is what Paul is praying for this church in Ephesus. That they will continue to see and remember and have hope that because what God has done in the past, he will do in the future because he is faithful. He will not change. He will continue to work in us. He will continue to work through us. He will continue to work for us. Do you see this? Do you see what God is doing in us? Elsewhere, Paul says, we have died with Christ. So too, as Christ has been raised, we have been raised. We have been buried with him. We have been raised with him. We have been seated with him, far above all ruler and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named. For those living in Ephesus, They came, most of their backgrounds was worshiping pagan deities, pagan gods. They probably worshiped them. They probably practiced magic, incantations of their ancient religion. And in those religions, it was believed that if they said the name of their deity, they would have power over them. That if they used the name of the, de the deity, that they were bound to them to do whatever they asked or received. We do something like this, except we do it with lesser deities. We do this with our children. You're supposed to laugh. We, when we use our children's middle name, we are claiming authority. We are claiming power. Paul is saying here, Jesus' name 
far surpasses any name. Jesus' name has been placed far over anything of your past life. Jesus' name and power and exaltation is over everything, seen and unseen. Not only in this age, but in the age to come. Not only do we have power and authority now in Christ, but His power is forever. This is hope that we have been given in Christ because He is preeminent. And this is where it gets remarkable. We've seen that Paul, he prays, why he prays for them, what he prays them. And now we want us to see the implications of his prayer in verses 22 and 23. Here in verse 22, Paul quotes Psalm 8, which was used in our call to worship. Paul has just established Christ's supremacy. Why just layer it on? Why just keep going? Well, in Psalm 8, it's a psalm that enables God's people to celebrate their place within God's creation. He placed Adam at, to have dominion over all of his creation as his vice regent. So, so what is Paul doing here, quoting Psalm 8? Well, don't you see? He's placing Jesus as the new Adam. He's placing Jesus as the second Adam, the better Adam, who has fulfilled everything that Adam was called to do and to do what Adam failed to do. God's people must see that in Christ, God has made a new creation, a far superior one than Adam, who he has placed as his vice regent right now over his entire creation. And look at what Paul continues to say, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What is Paul talking about here? He has placed this new Adam, this Messiah, at his right hand, who is ruling everything, whose head over all things, to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ has blessed the church with himself. Christ so loved his church That in his place of authority, in his place of supremacy, he has given everything that his church might need and has filled them and blessed them. Christ fills his church. Why? So that they might fill all in all. Christ has blessed them, blessed them with himself so that they might be a blessing 